This podcast is not intended as a substitute for proper diagnosis and medical care by a qualified veterinarian. Furthermore, the views expressed in this podcast are those of our hospital only and are not intended to represent the policies and practices of other animal hospitals. Before we get to today's episode, I'm popping in to say that at the time we recorded this interview, we were still practicing physical distancing because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Recording remotely, while advantageous at a time such as this, presents some technical difficulties, including audio artifacts which you may notice during this episode. We don't feel that it detracts from the quality of information presented in the interview, however, and we ask for your understanding. And now, on to the episode. Hello and welcome to the Animal Hospital of North Asheville podcast. I'm your host, Gretchen Harwell. Joining me for a third chat today is Dr. Scott Loveless, and we are going to change direction a little bit and cover another one of Dr. Loveless's areas of interest and expertise, which is patellar luxation. And I will go ahead and give a little disclaimer right now, and that is patellar luxation oftentimes requires surgery for treatment. And if you do not like hearing about surgical procedures with a little bit of detail, then you probably should skip this episode because we are going to talk surgery. So thanks again for joining me, Dr. Loveless. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Doing well. Great. Great. Um, so we've already covered your pets and your veterinary education and all of that stuff. So I was going to ask you a couple different sort of uh, getting to know you questions today. All right. First, okay. First up, cake or pie? Um, Pie. I definitely have okay. to say pie over cake. I'm with you there. Uh, now, next up, sushi. Is it great or is it gross? I'm going to have to say great. I like sushi uh, most of the time. There are some some types I don't like, but most of it I, I do like, or at least we'll try once. <laughs> okay. And to wash down that sushi, Coke or Pepsi? Um, I, I think both are okay, but uh, if I had to choose, I'd say Coke. I definitely would okay. be a, a Coke person. Excellent. Okay, so now let's get on to our luxating patellas. Can we just start with the basics? What is a patella and where is it on a cat or a dog? All right, so the patella is uh, another word for kneecap. So just like you and me, um, dogs and cats have two kneecaps and they're both located in in the back legs. Um, They do have front legs, but those are built like our arms um, and they Mm -hmm. have elbows and not knees so if it's limping on the front it's definitely not a kneecap it has to be the two back legs that that have kneecaps Um, it's that little bitty bone just right on where your kneecap is Um, it can you can kind of wiggle it back and forth it's kind of attached to the muscles up above Um, it also has a ligament that goes down and uh, attaches to the um, end of the shin bone or the tibia Okay. Thank you for that clarification. And um, next up, what does luxating or luxation mean? Okay. So luxation is to move out of normal alignment or to dislocate um, from a normal assessment. So basically the kneecap should be in its little groove. There's a, in the thigh bone or femur, there's actually a little groove um, that the kneecap sits in and it goes as your leg moves up and down or the dog's leg moves up and down, basically that slides up and down in that little groove. Um, and, you know, most of the time for most people and most dogs, most cats, it stays in there. Um, but when it comes out of that groove, it's what we call luxation, um, which it moves or dislocates out of that where it's supposed to be. Okay. And so putting that together, 
patellar luxation is when the kneecap comes out of its groove. Is that right? Correct. Correct. Okay. And is my understanding there are two types. Can you talk about those two types? Sure. Um, the two types are the medial patellar luxation, also known as an MPL, mm -hmm. um, also a lateral patellar luxation, uh, which is an LPL. Uh, most of the time, in most cases, you're going to be dealing with an MPL. Um, okay. The majority of cases that we see are luxating um, to the inside, and medial just means to the inside of the body. So basically, if it's your um, wherever leg, if it's your right leg, it's going to the left. If it's your left leg, it's going to the right. Um, but basically, towards the middle of the body is what medial means in this case. Um, and that's where it's going to luxate out to, and then okay. it will pop back into the normal groove. Okay. And la lateral is the opposite. It goes to the outside. Excellent. Okay. And now, does it always affect both of the hind legs, or can it just be one? Um, it can just be one. Um, okay. It's about 50-50. Some of them, um, it will affect both of them. Um, some cases, they're what we call traumatic luxation. So they'll actually mm -hmm. do something that luxates it, and that'll oftentimes just be one. Um, and I've had other dogs that get one, and the other one's normal. And then a couple years later, the other one pops out too. Um, and so we think a lot of times those may have some congenital um, Defects that kind of lead to that, the way the tibia or shin bone grows and okay. kind of where it looks, um, it kind of makes some kind of luxate because it kind of pulls on that ligament and it pulls it maybe out um, or to the inside of the body um, and kind of just shape differently. A lot of times when I go in there and surgically fix them, um, you actually, when I do one of my surgeries, you actually line up the, the um, shin bone and it actually makes it look straighter. Um, on there. Uh -huh. so you can see there's actually a little kind of curve um, to the inside or to the outside, depending on, on where it's at. Okay. And now, um, can this also happen to cats? It can. Um, mm -hmm. It's pretty rare in cats. I don't see a lot of cats um, with this problem, but um, it definitely can happen in cats as well. Um, and we can do a lot of the same fixes we do with dogs with cats. Um, cats are just, um, I don't know if we just don't see it as much because they don't show us as much or we just, mm -hmm. it's just not there as much. I mean, I do have a few cats that I see that have it, but it's a, it's a lot more rare finding than cats. Okay. Um, and now, are there certain breeds of dogs that are more susceptible to luxating patellas? There are. There are. Um, most of the toy breeds are the, the most susceptible. So basically, most of the dogs that are, you know, 10 pounds or less or any of these mm -hmm. toy breeds, um, Chihuahuas, Poodles, Maltesers, um, any of these guys can have luxating patellas very easily. So um, it's considered a toy breed. It's definitely a, a big possibility or a better chance of them having it. A lot of it has to do with genetics. A lot of those breeds have that. And, um, it's just one thing they pass down very commonly, right. though I have seen some large dogs that get it. Um, and then um, bulldogs are also do get a lot of times um, just because mm -hmm. of the way they're kind of designed. They do have kind of bad back legs. Right. Yeah. I was going to say some of those kind of twisty leg looking dogs, that's not a good way to put it, but I don't know a better way. Um, it yeah. seems like maybe. Okay. And now what are the symptoms that um, a pet uh, owner might see at home? Right. So the symptoms they're going to be looking for is some sort of discomfort with the back legs. Once again, like we talked about before, it has to be the back legs if it's going to be the, but there'll be either limping or kind of having some issues with them now some dogs don't limp they will kind of hold their leg at a weird angle and mm -hmm. sometimes they'll learn especially these toy breeds that have had to go on for years they'll actually learn to pop it back in just like somebody uh -huh. that has a, um, a shoulder that you know pops out of joint or something like that and they'll kind of pop it back in or mm -hmm. um, dogs a lot of times will hold their leg funny and they'll kind of like twist it around like oh they'll kind of hop around for a little bit and then they'll do something and they'll 
pop it back in and then they'll keep on walking. So um, usually it's going to be limping, lameness, sometimes pain, um, but there are other things that can also kind of associate with pain in the knees as well. Okay. Yeah. I've actually, I've heard that funny leg hold that you described called like a hitch in your giddy up. Uh-huh. <laughs> They're walking along and they sort of kick their leg out to the side a little bit and then they, they trot along again until it happens again. Um, and now how do we diagnose a patellar luxation? That's a good question. So the, um, the best way to diagnose it is one with a the physical exam. So it's something a lot of times when we're um, examining the dogs, we can actually make that patella pop out a joint. Um, I said manually, we can do that with most of the, if they've got it, we can usually push out a joint. You shouldn't on the, a normal, shouldn't be easy for us to pop it out a joint. Just feel your own knee. Don't try to pop your kneecap <laughs> out, but it's really hard. If you, if you were to try, it's very hard to do that unless you have an underlying um, looseness of the ligament or things like that. And there's a, um, the other big thing is we like to do is x-rays. A lot of times you can see that patella on the x-rays to see what that is. The x-rays are also good for ruling out other things. So a lot of times mm-hmm. or other things that can cause lumping. Um, you can have, you know, broken bones, you can have infections, you can have um, cruciate or um, ACL tear. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are very, it's the same area. So it will give you the same area of, of pain. Um, and then sometimes you'll have it concurrently with the patella. So you have Lexane patella, but maybe that's not what's causing the problem. Maybe the cruciate tear is causing the problem. And sometimes the, with the x-rays, it can help us to kind of differentiate um, what we're seeing on there. Um, and it can also, we can also check out the hips too, because we're going to make sure before I always tell people, before I do a knee surgery, I'm going to make sure you have good hips. Because if I do a knee surgery and you've got a bad hip or the dog has a bad hip up there, it's not going to do much good to do a knee surgery or at least to know know that's there before we do one to, to know kind of, what kind of recovery right. we're going to expect. Right. And to manage our expectations in that way, you know. Exactly. Okay. So um, do all patellar luxations look the same or does it vary in its severity? Uh, that's a good question. So they do have about four grades that we usually um, talk to people about um, and depends on um, kind of where they're at in these is how urgent surgery is needed or is it something we can just watch or anything like that. Because a lot of these toy breeds will have like a grade one, I call grade one um, mm-hmm. that we don't say have to do anything about, but it's good to know that they do start having problems. We can kind of monitor it and make sure it's not going to progress and get worse and worse. Um, and sometimes that's all it, all it becomes. Um, Usually I find whenever a, um, a larger dog tends to have a, a, a one of these grade twos or, or better, they tend to need surgery more often than the smaller dogs. Um, they just tend to be more affected by, by pain or just the, the irritation or maybe they just put more back weight on their back legs versus the smaller dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do find when I have a, a – once again, it's more rare in large dogs. When I do have a larger dog that has it, they tend to need surgery more often whenever I see them. Okay. Um, so um, the, there's four grades, um, one being the lowest or the best, um, four being the worst. So I'm just going to kind of describe those real quick and kind of just kind of talk about that. Um, grade one, um, you can move it a little bit out of place, but it kind of comes back naturally. And it's uh, once you let it go, it's, it's very mild. It's maybe not even painful. Some people might be aware that the dog has it. Um, uh, grade two is that it occasionally slips out of the groove, and that's when they have the intermittent lameness. They'll kind of be lameness, and sometimes they'll pop it back in on its own. Um, sometimes, you know, they'll have owners that they'll say, oh, I rubbed the, the dog's knee, and it got better. It's like, well, you actually popped it back in. You didn't realize it. And if sometimes you'll feel like a little pop. You'll pop mm-hmm. it back in. They're like, oh, I feel better. Um, so those those were the time with the the more complicated ones to say do they need surgery or not. Because, once again, those a lot of times will go a long time, never need never get surgery, and be just fine. Runners mm-hmm. is like, yeah, we can't tell anything. Some grade twos, um, they tend to be more painful um, and they tend to, to kind of 
need surgery um, more often. So I said those are kind of the more difficult ones. It depends on kind of how painful they are. But um, sometimes if things are you know getting worse, that ridge is worn down more. Um, that grade two goes up to grade three or four, and then it kind of those kind of get more complicated. So usually the the experts say that you know grade three, grade four, um, those tend to be more the ones rec- surgery is recommended for. Um, grade three is usually the patella is out most all the time. It can be mm-hmm. pushed in, but um, it doesn't stay there uh, very often. Time it comes back out, and it's mostly out of the t- most of the time. Um, they tend to you know, usually are showing some lameness. They seem to have some weakness. They usually have some muscle atrophy. They tend to have sometimes some strange, um, um, strange walking or, or things mm-hmm. like that. So it's that's usually when it's like, yeah, it's not gonna. That's just going to get worse and worse. And we, we don't want that as a grade three to progress to the grade four. And that's where it's out all the time. You can't push it back in place. Um, mm-hmm. Those are the ones that are just like, uh, the, the dog usually has more major problems, things like that. And that's usually, you know, surgery is best on the grade twos and threes. Um, as you get to grade four, it becomes harder to, to fix. Um, so like I said, just the, the surgery itself um, is still, you know, recommended we can try it. But the um, a lot of times total you know they don't you don't always you don't always get them fixed as much with grade four it's just not as um right it's more complicated yeah exactly okay 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 and so what are the treatments options you've mentioned surgery a couple times are there any other treatments yeah so there's a um and all that depends on how um how bad they are. So there's a, a couple things that um, you, you can do when they're in the milder phases of it. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. it's a matter of, you know, a lot of times I'll do an exam. I'll say to a person, I said a client that says, hey, you know, your dog does have a, you know, a grade one or grade two uh, luxation. Um, mm-hmm. We need to watch that. If it starts to show pain or issues, we may need to go fix this because this is something that can get worse with time. It usually doesn't just get miraculously better. It usually just kind of dis- disintegrates with time. Mm-hmm. Though I've had a lot of dogs that seem to never have a problem with it. Um, and sometimes when they get older, they will get some arthritis in there. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, if I have a, you know, a 13, 14-year-old dog, I'm not necessarily going to say, let's do a big, a big surgery on the knee at that point. Unless right. the dog's just really having major issues. Some points like that, or even in the meantime, we may do a little bit of anti-inflammatories or pain medication to help with them if it's just something that's a little minor thing. But if that's not working, sometimes we'll have to progress to the next step. Okay. And now, does the treatment different for a medial patellar luxation versus a lateral? Um, yes. So the um, treatment is different, but the same. So the um, the biggest difference is it's it's the best way to explain it. It's kind of um, the opposite. So we kind of go in there and we're trying to. Um, and once again, this is something I, you can use these better when I draw it out for people. But we're basically trying to, when I describe the surgery, we try to put the um, tibia in a new place. And if it's mm-hmm. going uh, medially, we kind of push the t- tibia laterally a little bit. So, um, But if it's going laterally, we don't want to go the same direction because that will just make it worse. We want right. to push that tibia um, to the medial aspect and basically kind of align it up and, and straighten that up. Um, also, we'll, um, a lot of times what we do is we tighten the joint capsule around there and depending on um, – which way you want to go. We'll kind of cut the joint capsule a different side to kind of tighten it a little bit better. Okay. Um, the groove is pretty much the same, but we will, if we know it's going to one side or the other, sometimes I'll make that the one we're fixing a little bit deeper. Um, that's usually mm-hmm. the one that's worn down more too. So when we get in there, we kind of to make that in there. But um, I'll talk about it more in just a second when we talk about the uh, actual surgical procedure. Okay. For that. 
And now, um, is it, it sounds like the procedure is different for NPL versus LPL, but what about cats versus dogs? Um, it's pretty much the same surgeries I do for both. So it's, and like I said, overall, besides the being on the opposite side of the actual knee, it's still the surgeries, the same surgery is just a little bit different place, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, so it's a, but for cats and dogs, it usually is the, the same. Usually I tend not to do as many surgeries with cats because we just, mm-hmm. I guess we just don't see a lot of cats that have that chronic issue, but um, we do do it sometimes when we need it, especially the cats that I've seen have usually been ones that have been um, lame since birth or like a congenital birth defect or something like that. That's made them have some issues for a long time and they're actually having some pain um, right. from that. Okay. And now, so um, it's, it is finally time to talk surgery. Can you give me just a brief rundown of what the surgical procedure is to correct uh, patellar luxation? Okay. Um, so excellent. So, um, so what we do is there are three surgeries or three parts of the surgery I usually do when I do this. Um, I said we do a, um, I'm going to try to break it down so it's easier. We do what's called a trochlear modification modification, which is basically the um, groove the patella sits in the kneecap on the, mm-hmm. on the femur or the thigh bone mm-hmm. um, on that lower part. Um, there's a little groove that it sits and goes up and down and slides up and down. And when they have a luxation, imagine it's like a stone going back and forth. It's a hard bone and it's going back across um, and kind of wearing down, basically two little kind of bones kind of going across each other. So it's going to wear the groove down with time. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we do is we go in there and there's a couple ways of doing this. We can um, basically make either a wedge or what's called a block um, and kind of basically cut a little piece of that groove out. We kind of flatten it. Um, we kind of shave off. We have some material for shaping that and then basically put it, um, put the top part kind of back in there when we've made it deeper. Um, okay. So that's the first, that's the first step. We give them a new, a new groove so that doesn't, it's not as likely to move in and out. Okay. Uh, of the area. Okay. The the second part of the procedure is what we call the um, the tibial crest transposition. Um, so what that is, that's basically that um, if you feel your shin bone, um, mm-hmm. right, your shin bone kind of sticks out at that really high point um, right next to your knee on the top. Um, mm-hmm. That's basically your uh, tibial um, crest. And basically what we're going to do is um, we're going to take that. I'm going to usually either saw it or have a little um, osteotome that we kind of cut a little bit of that bone and we basically move it over um, to basically tighten everything up. And I said, usually when I go in there, these dogs have had some, that that usually is kind of angled funny to begin with. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of created this issue in most cases. So usually that's probably the one of the most important steps as we do kind of that part and we kind of push it to the to another side and kind of tighten it down. Usually I said, when I push it, it kind of lines it straight up and down, but Mm -hmm. usually we're pushing it just to the side um, to kind of get that to tighten down. And we usually have to pin that one in place. So that one does require a little bit of um, usually a, um, a couple of little, what we call K wires or um, mm-hmm. little pins in there that we push, um, push in there, have a little um, kind of drill them out. And then we kind of just put them in there and they basically hold the tension because there's going to be, that's going to be a lot of tension. And basically that's going to hold it um, for that bone to kind of heal together. And that bone will kind of heal together in about six to eight weeks. We'll kind of fuse that together and then the pins won't be necessary anymore. Okay. Um, Usually we leave the pins in there because they are um, surgical grade steel and they're usually in most cases just fine. But if they do cause a problem, we'll talk about later on, we can take them out if we need to. Um, The last part of the surgery is called the um, lateral imbrication. And that's basically the tightening of the joint. So basically, you know, we go in there, we've kind of made this 
incision into the knee. We're kind of trying to tighten everything down so that knee, it's not going to go over top of my new ridge or it's not going to get too loose. We actually are going to take some of the tissues that we've cut open and mm-hmm. we basically push them together in a way that kind of tightens them down. So it kind of just helps to tighten the whole knee up a little bit to make it so it doesn't come out as easily. Okay. In some cases you can do a, um, in some cases, some of that, you know, you can do one, two, or three of these. Um, uh-huh. I found that just when I tend to do it, it's usually if we're going to do surgery. In most cases, when I do it, I tend to do all three of them. Um, that's just my personal preference. But um, I have seen or heard some vets that do, just do one or two of the procedures. But sometimes the problem is, is if it doesn't work, then you've got to go in and do the other procedures. And I'd rather just get it once and over with and kind of do what usually when if I go in there, uh, we do all three at the same time. Uh, to kind of just make it the best, hopefully the best outcome that we can, we can have. Right. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, do all the things that you can do so that you don't have to come back and do it later. Right. Okay. So this sounds like a pretty intense surgery. Um, What do we do for our perioperative pain control? Right. So we have a kind of a multi-module pain control for these guys. So we've got a couple things we do. Um, just to help with that because it's it's a painful surgery. I mean, we're cutting into bone, we're mm-hmm. reshaping tissue, we're going and cutting muscle. We're you know we're going all the way down to the joint, and it just it can be very painful. So there's a couple things we do um, before surgery. We usually are giving them some sort of opioid um, to kind of help prevent the wind up of pain. Um, okay. We're also going to give them um, once we knock them out and give them uh, a. You know, a an anesthetic. Um, they're going to be. Uh, we're also going to do usually an epidural. Um, in okay. most cases, we're able to get an epidural in there. But we're going to kind of numb that. So if you've ever um, you had given birth or anything like that, and you go to the hospital to do an epidural for the same kind of thing, it just helps you not feel your your back end, um, right. or their back end. I guess it's our yes. lower half for us, right? <laughs> um, but it helps you not feel that, so that you can. Basically, we can do the pain, so when they wake up, they're not as, as painful. Um, okay. So we can usually do that. Um, and then we've actually um, started using the new um, pain medication. It's actually worked out really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a 72-hour um, tw- acting uh, bupivacaine um, called Nocita. Um, it's a pretty cool thing. As we're doing the surgery and we're coming out, we inject this into the joint. Um, we're not into the joint, excuse me, not we inject into the tissues as we come out. Um, Mm -hmm. And as what this does, it basically provides about 72 hours of this very focal um, bupivacaine uh, that basically just helps to numb it. So if you've ever had um, Novocaine for your teeth or anything like that, you know, it kind of makes you feel numb. Um, And that's kind of what what it does for the knee because you got all this pain and things like that. And we can kind of take that away. So even after the epidural wears off, um, you're going to have some pain control with that for usually about three days. And then we're going to send them home on anti-inflammatories. Um, if they're already on anti-inflammatories, sometimes we'll add some gabapentin in there. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. we'll do both. Um, and then we also, as they wake up, um, they're going to have access to a, a whole lot of drugs. We have a, a nurse that watches them overnight and makes sure that we have orders if they, they do need it. We do have um, things that we can put in an IV, um, like ketamine, other opiates, um, things mm-hmm. like that. So there's a lot of choices we had depending on their pain. But like I said, since we've had that Nocita, we've had to use a lot less other pain medications because it's done a really good job of controlling the pain. Right. Yeah. That stuff. Yes, they recover. Yeah. I think it's, that stuff is great because, you know, that first 72 hours is when like the inflammation just from doing surgery, you know, sometimes people don't realize that surgery itself is traumatic to those tissues. And so you can, if you can control the pain during those 72 hours when the inflammation is kind of going to be at its highest, 
um, you know, that gets you a lot further than just doing, let's say, you know, what we used to do, which was morphine or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And we have the, we still have those available and we still use the gifts beforehand and we use some of it in our epidural, but, um, a lot of times it's, you can kind of get with all those morphine, hydromorphone, things like that. They're pretty strong. And they, if you've ever had them yourself, they make you feel pretty loopy. And that's kind of the, um, the downside is the dog doesn't understand that they've just had, you know, morphine or opioid. And that's why they feel kind of funny. They just said, I feel really weird and I'm kind of drunk, but I don't know what's going on. And I'm going to help. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, like if you can get ahead of the pain right from the start, then that's always a good thing, I think. Exactly. Exactly. The less pain you have, the less, and pain is a wind up. So as you get more pain, it kind of builds on itself. So if you've ever right. had chronic pain yourself, it just kind of, it gets us, we can hopefully stop that even before it happens. A lot of times that's why we give them something before even we start the surgery. We want to make sure that's we're already starting something before we even go in there and start messing around. The epidural right. helps with that. The pre-surgical um, pain medications help with that as well. Great. Okay. Now that we've talked about surgery, let's talk about the recovery process. Um, first up, how long do we usually expect a pet to stay in the hospital after surgery? All right. So they're definitely going to stay overnight. Um, our patients, usually we want to monitor for pain. We want to mm-hmm. monitor uh, what's going on, make sure we've got their pain under control, make sure they're doing well. Um, we oftentimes will put a little, um, we call a compression bandage on the surgical site. Afterwards, we may take it off the next morning. We may leave it on depending on which um, knee surgery we're doing or how the, the actual dog or cat is doing um, mm-hmm. with that. Um, so definitely um, we'll go home the next day. Um, Unless there's an issue, if there is an issue, we may keep them for a day or two longer just to make sure we have everything under control and they're doing well before they go home. Right. Um, Because just like, you know, if you and I had major surgery in the hospital, now they do try to send us home pretty well, but we can talk and, you know, say, hey, I don't feel so good. I need something else. Um, Right. Whereas dogs don't necessarily tell all they're going to do. And you don't, a lot of times when you're at home and you don't know, are they just, um, we call dysphoric because of the pain medication or are they actually painful? And sometimes those can be difficult to differentiate. And that's why we have our, our nurses and staff that basically are able to monitor them overnight and be able to let us know, okay, they're actually in pain or no, they're, they're doing fine. Right. And so you mentioned a bandage and it sounds like, um, you know, sometimes they may go home with a bandage or do we try to usually take it off? Um, it depends on the case. So sometimes I will send them home with a bandage. Sometimes mm-hmm. I will take it off. Um, sometimes it just depends on the dog. If I have a, sometimes a young puppy that I think is going to get that bandage off and chew it off or something like that, I will right. sometimes take it off. If I've got an older dog that, yeah, we can maybe keep it on, then sometimes we'll keep it on. But it, it usually depends on a lot of factors. So I always tell people that's kind of, it'll be a, up to the doctor, um, during that and usually during the surgery and usually it all sometimes it depends on how much swelling there is um, but right. usually i put one on after the surgery and then the next morning a lot of times we'll take it off and see how everything looks um, just to keep some swelling down from overnight because just like you said before anytime you do surgery you're gonna have inflammation afterwards regardless of what else you do exactly okay and now is this a procedure that's going to require physical therapy after the fact that's a good question so a lot of times physical therapy is a good idea um, whenever we um sends you home, um, usually we will, um, we have little, usually little booklets or little instructions for some at-home physical therapy. Sometimes mm-hmm. though, as um, if, you know, patient's not recovering as well as we hope they would or things like that, uh, sometimes we will send you to a, a physical therapy place to help you know, move that along a little bit faster. Just like when mm-hmm. we have major surgery, sometimes it helps to know, do specific exercises um, to help with that. And um, I said, sometimes some animals are able to do that at home and do well. Um, some mm-hmm. animals are just, we do have to send them to it. Um, a, a 
basic rehabilitation specialist for dogs. Okay. And now um, we talked about the surgical pain management. What what type do we usually do um, after surgery, like in the recovery period? What kind of pain meds are we on? Right. So usually when we send them home, we're going to send them home on usually a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. So something like usually um, Rimodil, Deramax, Prepacox, Medicam, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, along with, um, sometimes we'll do a lot of gabapentin along with that. And that's just an additional pain medication for neurogenic mm-hmm. type pain that we get. Um, so we'll send that home a long time with that um, at the same time. Uh, and then they've got that still that Noceta usually on board that's going to last for like three days uh, about right. three days after the surgery. So that'll help out with pain. And then usually if that's not enough, sometimes we'll add, there are other things we can add, but usually at the time you give us a call and say, Hey, you know, we still think he's in pain and then we can talk about what else we can add uh, depending on the patient, what's going on. Some dogs just need something to kind of keep them a little bit quiet. Um, right. So they need something more of like a mild sedative. Some dogs actually need um, more kind of pain medication. So it just depends on the, the individual patient, what they need. So what is the prognosis for um, a luxating patella patient who doesn't have surgery? All right. So that depends on a lot of times how, how bad it is. So if it's a, um, if it's a real severe case, then it's, you know, it's going to get worse and usually it's not going to get better without surgery. And um, in some cases where it's a milder case um, and we want to wait and see and the, the animal's not having any pain or anything like that, then a lot of times we can see how it does and um, kind of see how things go. Um, so surgery isn't necessarily where I'm going to jump on if, if it's a case that's kind of on a lower, on a lower range of, of the scale. Um, the, Usually you're just going to get worse with time though. So if you have an animal that's you know, showing pain, limping, having problems with it, and especially if they're on the younger side, you definitely want to um, consider surgery because it's something that we can usually help them to deliver a better life, um, to use that leg, um, be able to enjoy their life. Um, whereas if we just leave it like that, a lot of times they'll have kind of chronic arthritis, some pain just from that um, wearing down with time, and it'll just become worse and worse. And the worse it becomes, the harder it becomes to fix. And if it gets to that grade four that we talked about, then it's one mm-hmm. of those things that we just don't, those tend to not do as well with surgery as they would if they we'd caught it earlier. Okay. And so what about the prognosis when we have done surgery? Um, so most of the time the surgery, um, everything goes well with the surgery has a really good prognosis, just like any surgery though, there's always risk of, um, side effects, um, and complications, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. from surgery. Usually, um, you know, you can talk about some things like the, um, sometimes those little pins we put in for that will start to wear or kind of the body will start to reject them, kind of push them out. Um, mm-hmm. Usually if it's after the eight weeks that we usually say it takes about bone about six to eight weeks to heal, if that bone's kind of healed up, then a lot of times we can usually knock them out again and we can take those little pins out if they need to come out. But a lot of dogs, those things are fine the rest of their lives and they'll just stay in there. Just like somebody that has a, a bone screw or a plate in there, that they'll leave that in there. But if they do cause problems or the body starts to reject them, we can, you know, take them out. Um, some dogs, uh, do really well. Some dogs require a little bit just more time to kind of get used to it. And I've had other dogs that have had, they've, they've had it going on so long that they, when they, when we did fix it, they just don't trust their knee anymore. So it's fixed, right. but they're, they have to kind of get used to and trust, trust it again. So that's where sometimes physical therapy will help out a little bit more um, just to kind of get them to use, use that. Or they've, because they've, a lot of times sometimes these dogs may have held their leg up for so long, not using it, that there's a little atrophy in there and things like that to kind of to help them. So sometimes it's a slower process, but in most cases it's a pretty, uh, a pretty good recovery. And most people are happy or, or that their dogs had the surgery. Okay. 
Okay. So um, we've covered a lot of things about like the aftercare and stuff, but what is the long-term outlook for patellar luxation? All right. So uh, without surgery, um, you're definitely looking at um, a lot more arthritis, pain, difficult to get around, things like that. Now that's for the more severe cases. In some Mm -hmm. case, it doesn't progress very quickly um, or it doesn't progress very, very much at all. Um, With surgery, you do have um, some risk with the, you know, with those little pins we put in there, um, sometimes, you know, you can have a reaction. The body can reject those three months later, two mm-hmm. years later. It, it really, you know, it can happen. Um, usually the treatment's pretty easy. We have to knock them out and then take the, the pins out um, at that time if, if that does happen. Once again, it doesn't happen in most cases, but it's always a possibility because there is, that's really the only thing foreign in the, in the body at the time. Everything else, like with the, um, when I remake the ridge, it's all with their own materials, so they don't have as much risk with that. Right. Uh, but, but arthritis, you're going to have some arthritis either with the surgery or without the surgery. Um, it's usually going to be a significantly less with the surgery, um, and they're going to hopefully be using the leg and, and trust it more um, with that. Um, you can also, sometimes we'll do some anti-inflammatory, sometimes we'll do some um, glucosamine supplements for joint health, um, and sometimes some adequate injections or laser therapy or something like that, depending on what's, um, what's going on. So um, we'll kind of... We just play it by ear according to each patient. Is that right? Exactly. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining me for this episode. I think anybody with, um, you know, a lot of those susceptible breeds will find this information pretty valuable. I hope so. Thank you, Dr. Loveless. Thank you, Gretchen. Again, this podcast is intended for educational purposes only, and it is specifically intended for clients of the Animal Hospital of North Asheville. If today's episode has contradicted information given to you by your veterinarian, please adhere to your practice's advice and policies. This brings us to the end of the episode. If you aren't already, we'd love it if you'd stay connected with us on social media. Thank you for listening, and until next time, may your life be full of puppy love and kitten kisses.